crucifixion. A cruel, horrific, disgusting form of punishment causing immense pain. I'd like to begin by reading an excerpt by Frederick Farrar in his book called The Life of Christ as we consider the crucifixion of our King, Jesus, this morning. A death by crucifixion seems to include all that pain and death can have of the horrible and ghastly. Dizziness, cramp, thirst, starvation, sleeplessness, traumatic fever, tetanus, shame, publicity of shame, long continuance of torment, horror of anticipation, mortification of untended wounds, all intensified just up to the point at which they can all be endured at all but all stopping just short of the point which would give to the sufferer the relief of unconsciousness. The unnatural position made every movement painful. The lacerated veins and crushed tendons throbbed with incessant anguish. The wounds inflamed by exposure gradually gangrened. The arteries, especially at the head and stomach, became swollen and oppressed with surcharged blood, and while each variety of misery went on gradually increasing, there was added to them the intolerable pang of a burning and raging thirst. And all these physical complications caused an internal excitement and anxiety which made the prospect of death itself, of death, the unknown enemy at whose approach man usually shudders most, bear the aspect of a delicious and exquisite release. That's a tough way to begin a morning. But this morning, my prayer is that we will see the suffering that Jesus Christ endured on the cross for our sin. And we will have a greater appreciation of his love for us. And that this love will bring us comfort in our present day suffering. As we set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so at this time I invite you to open up your Bibles or Bible apps to Matthew chapter 27, as we consider our passage before us this morning. Matthew, chapter 27, beginning at verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, 
why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran over and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. We know that in the first three hours of Jesus' crucifixion, from 9 a.m. to noon, Jesus spoke on three different occasions. They are not recorded in this passage, but allow me to briefly remind us what he said as he endured the torment on the cross in those early hours. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Despite the cruelest of circumstances, in his infinite mercy, Jesus expresses concern for the angry mob that called for his crucifixion and for the Roman soldiers who nailed him to that cross. And at that moment, he asks his father to forgive them. Wow. Not sure that would have been my response. But Jesus is concerned about showing them forgiveness. Further on in verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? You can hear the mockery in their voice. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said. Since you're under the same sentence. We, we, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, you can, this man, he, he's, he's, 
He's done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers him, truly I tell you, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, as he hung on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, he turns to a repentant thief and offers him eternal life. Imagine that thief, the shame, the guilt, as he too hung there, justly deserving of the punishment he was getting, hearing again those words of forgiveness and the hope of an imminent reunion with Christ in paradise. Folks, that must have been an amazing reunion. And in John chapter 19, verse 25. John chapter 19, verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Quopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw, when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus selflessly cared for those he loves. And in this passage, we see that he's concerned about his mother. We see that he's concerned about the disciples, even to the point of death. He, he did not say, why me? He did not point a finger. He doesn't even appear mad. There's no pity party. These are the reflections, the recordings of Jesus as he hung from a cross. This is what he had to say in those earlier, earliest hours from 9 to 12 noon, showing love, forgiveness, and compassion for those people who were cruelest to me and for those who dearly loved. But what about God the Father? Was he a silent bystander? Is he quiet as the one and only son that he loves hangs there dying one of the most cruel deaths? Absolutely not. And so this morning, the verse that I'd like to use as a cornerstone for the rest of what we're going to look at in the passage of Matthew 27 is in Psalm 105. And it reads, Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. That's in Psalm 105, verse 4 and 5. Did you notice the word miracles? Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgment he pronounced. And I want to suggest to us this morning that God speaks loudly though inaudibly, <laughs> through the miracles that we observe at the cross. And in my readings, preparing for this morning, 
I came across five different miracles. And the first miracle that I'd like to suggest to us this morning, for those who are taking notes, miracle number one is the miracle of darkness. In Matthew 27, verse 45, we read, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. We already considered the words that Jesus spoke from nine to noon. But now from noon until three in the afternoon, God does something only that God can do. He miraculously turns off the sun. In the heat of day, complete darkness fills over all the land. Imagine standing there at the foot of the cross, being one of, and all of a sudden you look up and there is complete darkness. And so the question begs, what does this supernatural darkness represent? Well, it's a symbol of God's judgment. We know in Scripture, God's judgment is associated with darkness. In 1 Samuel, I will read this, chapter 2, verses 9-10. We read, He guards the steps of his faithful ones, but the wicked perish in darkness. For those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder from heaven against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give power to his king. He will exalt the horn of his anointed one. Example number two, Revelation chapter 16, verse 17. And its kingdom was plunged into darkness, and men began to gnaw their tongues in anguish and curse the God of heaven for their pains and sores. Yet they did not, they did not repent of their deeds. So darkness is a symbol of God's judgment. Returning to our text in Matthew chapter 27, what is God judging? Sin. And where does this happen? At the cross. It's at the cross where we see God's divine judgment on sin take place. God, in the darkness, affirms that he is judging our sins, my sins, your sins, then and there on Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God's wrath and fury poured out on Jesus Christ, affirms that he, God, is holy and just. Many years earlier, Isaiah wrote in chapter 53, verses 4 through 6, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he made, his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. The first miracle is a miracle of darkness. The second miracle is a miracle of separation. Look at Matthew 27, verse 46. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
after enduring, enduring six grueling hours of agony nailed to a cross, Jesus is miraculously able to cry out in a loud voice. He's not speaking in a whimper, but it's a strong voice. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If any of us were standing there at that time, there's no way that we could have known that God had forsaken him. Only Jesus at that point can know that God has forsaken him. I can't imagine the pain of being forsaken, abandoned, deserted by God. That must be extremely dark. I get it how a family member sometimes the emotional pain that comes from a parent, perhaps, or from a child. But in those moments, what do we do? We turn to God. Jesus, at that time, he can't even turn to God. It's impossible for us to know that God had forsaken him, but Jesus knew. And in a loud voice, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Echoing Psalm 22. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. Forsaken and still respectfully and reverently Addressing God as my God? <laughs> the intimacy that they had known from the beginning and before creation. The my God is now broken. The second miracle, if you will, and I don't know quite how this happens. It's God separating himself from God. I'm not sure how that works because they are one in essence. But God here confirms that the eternal love and the communion that they had with each other is now broken. Love turned to hate because of the sin that Jesus bore for the world. And the response of the people that are standing there, plain mockery, ridicule, jokes. Verse 47, when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. They knew Jesus was calling God, but they maliciously mocked Jesus even as he was in the process of dying before their very eyes. Heartless, cold, unrepentant. But their jabs continued. We read in verse 48, immediately some of them ran and took a, got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Remember what I read at the beginning from that quote, right? From the book of the life of Christ. There was added to them the intolerable pang of a burning and raging thirst. Let's see if Elijah comes to save them, they say. Their hearts were cold and callous towards the one dying in their place for their sins. And they failed to see the miracles, the miracles that God was performing before their very eyes. And why did God forsake God? We read in Psalm 22, because of his holiness. And in Habakkuk chapter 1, guys, God's eyes are too pure for evil and he must turn away. 
He can't look at wickedness with favor. God brings the darkness. He pronounces his judgment. And then he forsakes, abandons, and separates himself from Jesus. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders of, the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. The first miracle was separation. The second miracle, sorry, the first miracle was darkness. The second miracle was separation. The third miracle is acceptance. Verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Again, Jesus is miraculously crying out in a loud voice for everyone to hear. And it, and it suggests that he still has some fight left in him. But the fight is no longer required. After a long six hours of enduring a horrific and agonizing and humility, humiliating crucifixion, Jesus declares by his own will, and as recorded in John chapter 19, verse 30, and as we sung this morning in the first service, it is finished. And in Luke 23, 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He yields his spirit into his Father's open hands. Why? Because the work on the cross is finished. God's judgment is complete. God was satisfied, and Jesus was now acceptable and welcome back into the presence of his Father. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. First miracle, judgment. Second miracle, separation. Third miracle, acceptance. Fourth miracle, accessibility. Verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now we know that inside the temple, there was the Holy of Holies. It was the innermost and most sacred area of the temple. It was accessible only by an Israelite high priest. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest was allowed to enter into that square. There were no windows. And he would go there to burn incense. He would go there to sprinkle sacrificial animal blood. And by this act, the high priest, he atoned. He made amends for his own sins and those of the priesthood. But only the priest was allowed to enter into this most holy part of the temple. The people were, in a sense, restricted, prevented. They were. They were restricted from entering into God's presence. But as we read, upon Jesus' death on a cross, the curtain, as thick as an adult hand, was torn in two by God's invisible hand from top to bottom. By way of Jesus' blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus, by way of Jesus' blood, we now have access to God. 
No more barriers, no more restrictions, no more sacrifices by a high priest. Jesus only had to offer his living sacrifice once, gaining eternal redemption for all who come to God through him. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, we read, But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that have come, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made by hands and is not part of this creation. He did not enter by the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always and remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. First miracle was? Darkness. Second miracle? Third miracle? Fourth miracle? And the fifth miracle, and the last one we're going to consider this morning, resurrection. Verse 51. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many, I mean, this is like out of a scene of a movie. When, when you're reading this, you're going, what's going on? All right? So, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after, this is so key, after Jesus' resurrection, and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. What do we know about earthquakes? Well, a couple of chapters earlier, in Luke chapter 21, this is what Jesus had to say about earthquakes in the end time. Then Jesus said to them, meaning his disciples, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. We also know from the book of Revelation that one day in the future there will be a large earthquake, right? A day when God comes and he shakes the world from its foundation. Earthquakes speak about God's judgment. But it's not just about an earthquake. It's not just about God's judgment. We read that the, holy the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And this happens after Jesus' resurrection. Notice that those who died were raised to life, right, after his resurrection. They didn't go into Jerusalem until after Jesus' resurrection. And this, I believe, is a reminder that at some point in the future, when Christ returns, there will be a resurrection, I mean, as we're speaking about this, maybe some of our minds go back to John 11 and we're thinking about the death of Lazarus and we're thinking about um, the, uh, the, the spoken account between Lazarus' sisters, Martha, uh, or his sister Martha, and Jesus. And Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would have, would have not have died. And, but even now, I, I know that God will give you whatever you ask for him. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she answered. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. 
Notice how Martha's response is similar to the centurion who stood at the foot of the cross, right? In verse 24 of Matthew 26, we read, When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. We'll hear more about the resurrection next Sunday. And we'll hear more. He is risen. Hopefully as we reflect on the miracles at the cross, we too will realize that Jesus surely was the Son of God. The words spoken to by Jesus as he was nailed and hung from the cross reminds us that Jesus, God's one and only Son, is filled with forgiveness, filled with love, filled with compassion. Have we experienced his forgiveness? Have we experienced his love? Have we experienced his compassion? God's miraculous events surrounding the crucifixion reminds us that God hates sin and judges sin at the cross. It reminds us that God had to forsake Jesus at the cross because of his holiness and because of the requirement for justice. It reminds us that God accepts Jesus back into his presence once the work on the cross is complete. It is finished. Into your hands I commend my spirit. And then God rips the curtain in two. And he welcomes everybody by, who, who comes to him by faith. And his son Jesus Christ welcomes us into his presence. And through the miracles, God sends a warning. A warning of judgment to those who refuse him as Lord and Savior. But he promises, he promises, he promises a resurrection for all who put their trust in Christ and receive him as Lord and Savior. And so may we all be like the repentant thief on the cross who said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Or like the centurion who said, surely he was the Son of God. May we all confess our sins and be cleansed. And for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, but who are struggling, suffering, mourning, enduring, my prayer is that we would continue, that you would, that I would, that we would wait on God. Miracles on miracles. A million little miracles. Miracles on miracles. Count your miracles. One, two, three, four. I can't even count them all. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done. His miracles. And the judgments he pronounced. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning broken, hurting, suffering. But we look to the cross. We see how much you suffered. We see the price you paid in order for us to be forgiven. And we pray that you would help us endure. We pray that we would have a relationship with you. We pray that we would put our faith in you, in Christ alone. That we'd be forgiven of our sins. That we would be in your presence. That we would seek your face. That we would seek your strength. That we would continue to look to you and to remember everything that you have done both your miracles and the judgments. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for your compassion. We thank you for your forgiveness. We just thank you. Praise overflows.